Hello and welcome to the Ed Surge On Air podcast. I'm Jeff Young. This week, we're looking down under to an experimental college in Australia called Deakin University that was set up to focus on distance education. It got its start before the internet was really a thing. This was more than 40 years ago, and it was doing things like sending lessons in envelopes through the postal system. Of course, these days, mail-order courses sound archaic. And Deakin these days does a lot of online courses. But officials at the university worry that if they're not careful, uh, they'll end up offering the same kind of education-by-mail ethos in their digital format. So they're trying to reboot their online efforts in what they're calling a cloud campus, where educational experiences are designed to be digital first. Deakin also has plenty of physical locations these days, and its leaders want to reinvent the campus experience as well by trying to blend education into the busy lives of students. That has meant developing their own personal assistant for students. It's kind of like Siri or Alexa, but it can remind you to do your homework. A slick promotional video that the university made shows a student in a hoodie cooking dinner at home, stirring pasta while watching a lecture on a laptop that's propped by the burners. And here's a clip. Hey, Ginny, can you pause the class for me? Do you need something, Olivia? Can you remind me to research two-factor theory in 15 minutes? I remember when the joke about online education was that students could be doing it in their pajamas. But this vision of online education kind of assumes that students are never at rest, and they need to learn even as they're going through their day of work and, and family and life. It all gets more complicated, since that level of blending stirs privacy issues as well. To find out more about what this experimental Australian university is up to, I recently sat down with Beverly Oliver, Deputy Vice Chancellor, Education at Deakin. The conversation took place at the ASU GSV Summit on the Future of Education, and it was part of the EdSurge Live video forum, where people can tune in and ask questions. We'll have highlights from that conversation right after this. This episode of the Ed Surge On Air podcast is brought to you by the Ed Surge Next newsletter. Get the latest news and views about higher education technology each week. Sign up for the Ed Surge Next newsletter. Just visit edsurge.com and click on subscribe. All right. Hello. Welcome back uh, to Ed Surge Live Thought Leader interview series. And um, we are joined this half hour by Beverly Oliver, Deputy Vice Chancellor, Education at Deakin University, in Australia. Thanks for coming, flying out just to talk to us. Oh, and for being here at ASU GSV, but thank you. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Deacon is, I'm excited to talk to you because Deacon has been kind of doing the interesting things and I've been kind of reading about it and watching it, and but you know, you're, I haven't been able to get over there to visit yet. I'll hope to maybe someday. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess uh, you're, maybe we could start off by letting the audience know a little bit about you know, Deacon's role in, in, in the system there and, and just kind of remind us, and for some of us it'll be introducing us to, sure. to your university uh, and, and your place in the system there. All right, so first of all, Australia, I'm going to assume everyone knows where that yeah, is. Yeah, we got you there. Yeah, good. So, you know, in a population of around 23, 25 million, we have about 40 universities. Okay. So these are generally mostly public universities, in other words, funded by the government, mm-hmm. a couple of private ones, but mostly it's large public. So in amongst those 40, Deakin is about the sixth or seventh largest, depending when you take the count. And it's uh, it would be described generally as a middle tier and rising university. So it's 40 years old, 41 years old. It was founded as a distance educator. Hmm. 
for Australia. So it was founded to give, provide access to education for Australians who couldn't actually go to a campus. And as you would know, we have a, a lot of distance in Australia. Yes. So it was the post model, right? It was the printing and posting materials. The correspondence, yep. Exactly. And then, you know, in more recent years, we've, of course, gone to online. Sure. And uh, I've been at the institution for coming up seven years. And it would be fair to say that we've probably transitioned to the, to the much more digital cloud learning. That's what we call it, cloud learning. So we have uh, 60,000 students. Okay. Uh, they are basically studying in five campuses, four of which are, if you like, located or on-site campuses, mm -hmm. some large, some small. But we've declared our online campus a campus, and we call it the cloud campus. Hmm. I'll tell you why. Because we've been doing online learning for many years. To get the staff to go, well, we have to do it better. Well, yeah, whatever. <laughs> we've been doing it forever. So we wanted to use the <laughs> word cloud because we didn't want to just keep doing the... The traditional LMS, put the slides in there, capture the lecture, beam it out to people, like the what I call the electronic post office in the sky. So, hmm. it's, you know, in other words, very similar to correspondence, but with with some well, buttons in there, some, yeah, some PowerPoints. Yeah, so we're, we're redesigning all our cloud courses um, for cloud first, huh. cloud students first. So the legacy model is that we capture the on-campus experience, broadcast it to the off-campus students, which is what we used to call them. It's deficit. We don't want that. We think digital is its own kind of thing. So of our students, one quarter of them, about 25%, are completely online. Hmm. They may live in Victoria near the university. They live all around the world. Uh, sorry, mostly in Australia. We have a, a growing and small cohort that we've... We're growing at FutureLearn. That's the UK MOOC platform. Yes. So it's kind of like a Coursera, but it's the, the four... Exactly. It's the, and it's spun out of Open University, right? The yes, Future that's Learn. correct. Um, well, thank you for, for, for that primer for some of us here. Yeah. So actually, could you say a little bit more about the cloud, the cloud campus and what those courses are different? So if they're not the... You know, I think I can picture what you're describing as the kind of, you know, the, the sort of stand, standard online course that developed, you know, over the yeah. last... 10, 15 years. But then what's, so what, if you're trying to get the professors to do something different, what does that look like? Okay, so what we're doing in the new model is to, doing what a lot of other people are doing, quite frankly, which is taking it, taking the course over here, surrounding the academic with a team of experts, learning designers, producers, right. capturing all the material. But I guess what we've learned, we've learned a lot by using the FutureLearn platform, quite frankly, hmm. because what we're doing there, it's, it's designed for social learning. Yeah. So it's not designed like a usual LMS, which is just post it there and, you know, Broadcast. it's static. Yeah. Right. Or it's just discussion forum. You know, I always think people lose the will to live in discussion forums because <laughs> they don't discuss, they actually read and type. That's what they do. Yeah. So, you know, what we want is um, much more socially engaged. So small steps you know, bringing the student along in a digital narrative and engaging at every step of the process. Hmm. So we're working with the academic staff, but we're also putting more coaches, mentors, tutors around them mm -hmm. to engage with the students as well. And so, um, yeah, so it's, it's just getting, getting to that next, next level of, yeah. of thinking, not just that, that online chat room. No. <laughs> now, another, um, 
I think related in a broader sense of, of that I was really interested in is the Deacon Genie, which oh, yes. I don't know if, if um, those, uh, some people in our audience probably know it well from being, having seen it in the press, but in case they don't, like, could you tell us a little bit about the Deacon Genie effort, which is a few years old now, right? And, uh, oh, it's just really being rolled out now. Right. So it's been in pilot for a while. So a few years ago, we uh, adopted IBM Watson. Mm-hmm. This is the one that won on Jeopardy, right? The, yeah, that's uh, the Watson's one. the AI computer that's uh, the one. system. So we started off with Watson, and uh, Watson was really designed. We, we thought it could augment the learning experience for all students by, by being able to answer questions 24 7, 365, mm-hmm. which if you've got a digital campus, that's what you need. Mm-hmm. Or one that spans a continent as well. So that was our first foray. And then as the whole uh, artificial intelligence thing has developed. This particular uh, piece of software, this this implementation, is building on a more sophisticated level. So this one is actually purpose-built for the university. And it's interacting with a learning management system, which of course we use, and other things around the campus. So it's actually, it's like Siri, but for Deakin students. And it can tell you, for example, you know, what's coming up next, where you need to go to your next class, the room's been changed, um, you know, oh, here are the notes that you might need for your study, that sort of thing. So it's your personal assistant. It is, it is. It's like a Deacon personal assistant, exactly. And yeah, I, I mean, watching, there's a, there's a video on your website that I watch, and it's kind of got this fantasy of, you know, um, a student cooking dinner in their, mm-hmm. you know, apartment or dorm or something, and sure. the the, the laptop is open and then the, the Deacon Genie is saying, you know, oh, I've got your new video mm. lecture just dropped. Do you want me to show it now? Yeah. I mean, is this, I guess, how much is this going to move into the classroom part of the instruction? You know, and there makes sense to have some of this, mm. you know, you can imagine a sort of student portal with an Alexa interface, sure. which kind of like, sounds like part of it. Mm. But it seems like you guys are even pushing further into having it be part of the students' experience with, with classes, or no? Where is yeah, the line no, going to be? we are, absolutely. So, you know, we really believe that, I just said 25% of our students are fully online, and I often say 75%, the other 75% act like they are. Hmm. You know. Does that mean they don't show up for class? No, you yeah, don't mean it does. That. Oh, okay. Yeah, it actually does mean they don't come to class, because okay. I think all students are going to operate this way now. It's like, um, I often use the analogy of banking. Uh-huh. I used to walk into a building, you know, in my country it was between 10 o'clock and 4 o'clock. I had to line up, talk to someone. That's probably floor. universal. We get that here too. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Sure. <laughs> but now, you know, we're not going to go off the ATM or now I pay my bills on my watch uh-huh. or, you know, I tap and go. So even though the bank would maybe like me, to, I don't think they do, but I'm never going to want to go back and actually have to do my banking the other way. So I always think the way we live is the way we want to learn. And that's the way students want to have it. So we know our on-campus students are just as interested and, and engaged in these things as the fully online. In fact, maybe even more, I'll tell you why. Because the fully online cohort tends to be the more mature age, ah. part-time, working, caring professional. What now, used to be called non-traditional students, but correct. now pretty yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, the mum doing the dishes at the sink is possibly one of those. Or that student could, in fact, be an on-campus student doing a traditional undergrad or postgrad sure. degree. But they're all time poor. So, hmm. you know, we've got, we live in a, a lot of our students live around Melbourne. There's traffic. You know, they tell us, well, I have to drive an hour and a half each way just to come and listen to this. So actually, you know what? It's also digital. I'm going to do it from home. Interesting. Yeah, it's okay. But the, the key... That's good because it's accessible, 
But what we need to be very mindful of is what I just described as social learning. We need to keep them engaged right. and make sure they stay engaged so it doesn't just become like watching TV. That's the trick, right, is that um, to one of the things that uh, I, t- I talked with one of your colleagues who's working on, on the, the Deacon Genie, and they were telling me about, you know, the kind of, it's not there yet, but the vision of trying mm. to even have this be in a personal assistant, like mm. a TA almost, or mm. be even more engaged in the future. Mm. But to me, you know, that does raise a lot of questions about what the role of this, you know, what, how much is too much technology um, maybe in, in, the, in that situation. And I guess, is there a, is there some concern that there could that, that this could kind of either replace teaching or I don't know if there's any faculty on your campus concerned about Deacon Genie maybe? No, I don't, well, I don't think so. Uh, I'd go back to the banking analogy. Really what I want to do is for my money just to be safe. Yeah. And I want to be able to pay my bills and buy things and just keep it like it's got to be like electricity and running water. It just it's just there. And I, I, go, I get where you're going with your question about, you know, what is the role of a teaching staff member and so on? You know, will technology take over? I don't think so because at the end of the day, if really good learning is happening, if really good learning is happening and students are getting outcomes and they're realising their life goals, including their career goals, we're all going to be happy because I don't believe the role of the teacher will ever be entirely... Um, taken away because at the end of the day education is not like banking because it's a very it's a it's a very personal connection mm-hmm. between the student and what they're trying to learn with their peers and with the guidance of someone who knows more than they do so I suppose at, at its heart if you can emulate that and take away any of the clutter so that I can see what I need to learn next I can get feedback I can get responses you know I think it, it can be really augmented and it can be even better than a fabulous teacher, which is what we're aiming for. Your colleague was saying it might even be a competitive advantage for the institution to have these things. Mm-hmm. And of course, it's, it strikes me though, because in the past, I think there's been, or at least in a lot of times I talk to colleges, there's been this culture of, oh, let's share all the, you know, share mm-hmm. all our practices and, and have every, mm-hmm. uh, it's not, it's not a, a sort of competition of trade secrets. Mm-hmm. But I'm not saying you say it was a trade secret, but I'm curious what your view is about how, how technology might be more of a differentiator mm. in the future and do you think that will be, it will be where maybe Deacon has this and other people don't and other people have some other um, you know technology that we don't even know of yet of that's going to be and they will have you know so I think what, what we're all trying to do is use the opportunities in front of us technological to actually make this a more brilliant education that's what we're trying to do um, are we competitive? Of course we are. You know? <laughs> Everyone is because we are competing in a much smaller market than you are here. So hmm. yes, we are competitive. Uh, do we want our <clears throat> students to have the best? Yes, we do. So, and of course, you know, a- anything that we create, we've invested in. So mm-hmm. we need to get our return on that, obviously. We want our students to have it. But uh, at the end of the day, I think brilliant digital really in for this generation is hygiene. This is how students expect things mm-hmm. to happen, right? So they're surrounded by this stuff. They have, in sometimes, very low expectations of universities and higher education institutions because it'll be clunky, it'll be boring, it'll mm-hmm. be whatever, it won't work. Well, we shouldn't expect that. We should deliver the way they live. We should let them learn. But I think the compelling proposition, I think the competitive thing is where 
we need to deliver on students' life goals because this is a costly exercise in time and money. Mm. Most people come to get a job, keep a job, or get a better job. That's right. just how it is. You know, if they had all the time in the world, I'm sure they would love to sit around and learn for the sake of learning. I think we are, in fact. We're learning all the time. No one's walking around without a gadget in their hand. And they'll be, maybe they're playing a game, which is also learning, mm -hmm. often. Mm -hmm. Or maybe they're reading The Economist or whatever it is. Um, I think we are doing a lot of learning, but I think it's the employment and career and life goals that are the competitive advantage. So you have to deliver the digital, but it's the employability that just pips that, I think. I think we have a text question here um, that'll pop on screen, and I'll, I'll read it aloud So for, okay. for those just listening. Um, how do you think issues such as privacy, something like what Facebook's struggling with, as mm -hmm. we all know, um, will have an effect on online learning and on online classrooms in general? Interestingly, uh, I think we've got open digital envir environments now, and we've got closed environments. Uh, I know that we have a strong policy around not surveilling students, but using their data with their knowledge to in, in order to help them, if you like. Um, so privacy, I think, is going to be absolutely essential. And I think if you, that's one of the things that will, you will lose students if you, it's just like we're seeing on Facebook. Mm. I think we've grown up with a generation of people who think they don't care about privacy. But I think the, the recent breaches in Facebook show us at large as a, as a human society, we actually do care about it. And that it is, you know, as I saw someone say the other day, it's a basic fundamental human right. So um, I think all institutions will need to be really, really careful and to make sure that we only, we don't go too far because none of us likes it when it's creepy. Mm -hmm. Even, you know, if I'm walking around with my phone and LinkedIn sends me a text to say, oh, did you know? three people in your network are near you. Well, it's like, no, nah, go yeah. away. How did you know that? Don't exactly, you, yeah. you say to LinkedIn, yeah. So, and no, we mustn't do that. So it is absolutely key. It's core to the, it's, it's the, it's the contract between the student and the institution that we keep students safe in all ways, physically, digitally, it's all part of it. Yeah, I mean, that's, it seems like that is, it's one of those things that does open up, right? When you have Deacon Genie, and not to pick on that one in particular, sure. but as colleges, I think right now, I am seeing a trend with some of these AI tools and, and possibilities of data sharing across silos within the university that used to be silos, now they're sharing. Mm -hmm. So there is this centralization happening just like in banking, just like sure. in all kinds of things. And now I think mm -hmm. the Facebook is just one example of where, what have we gotten ourselves into that the potential lapses that could happen. Yeah. But I, I don't know, I think it's, a, it's an interesting time and challenge for anybody that deals with large sets of data. I will throw out one challenge actually, and it's one that worries me a little bit around the predictive analytics. Yeah. You know, there's a great temptation, and I'm speaking you know, quite broadly now, but um, mm. we have to be careful not to stereotype people. Right. So we often describe a students, I think you call them non-traditional, we would call them first in family or low right. socioeconomic students. You know, you cannot assume that that person is not really, really clever or not really, really tenacious in their learning habits. So sometimes I think we, you know, we've started using predictive algorithms and things like that where it's, it's heading towards typecasting people. Hmm. So, you know, we all know that the most comfortable, supported, bright, engaged student can have a life event that all of a sudden means they have to 
stop going to university. Right. So, you know, you can't assume anything's going to happen just because of your postcode or, or, you know, the various algorithms that we apply to you. I think we need to be careful. So that's a risk, just yeah. as, as this trend of, of the... Um, yeah, we had... There was one, too, that we wrote in a recent article, when a nudge becomes a shove, how, yeah. how uh, people could take these well-meaning or well-intentioned you know, nudges or little email reminders of, hey, you're sure. not doing as well as your peers, to be discouraged, for or, instance, if it's not done well. Yeah. So it might be in how it's, in how it's applied. That comes Could be. down to it. I guess I'm thinking of demographics. Yes. So, you know, I'm happy right. to share with you. Advising type of things. I was a first-in-family student. I sure. should never have gone into university. You know, I did okay. You know, I got in there, I did it, I was fine. So it's about presuming I'm... Someone I see. Was, someone That's said it yesterday. The, uh, actually, it was at the dinner last night. You know, the soft bigotry of low expectations. Yeah. Someone said that at the dinner. And I thought that was a really beautiful way to put it. Well, I think we'll leave it at that. Thank you okay. again for taking the time to join us today You're and, and share your views. Appreciate it. Thank you, Jeff. This has been the EdSearch On Air podcast. If this is the first time you're tuning in, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or, or Google Play or Stitcher, wherever you listen, and check out past conversations there. This episode was edited and produced by me, Jeff Young. We'll be back next week with more explorations of the future of education. Thanks for listening.